We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Well, today, let's open up to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And if you're here for the first time, I'm sorry. We're going to talk about money today. And uh, I'm like, man, we, we hardly ever talk about like giving uh, to the Lord. But one of the things that we do at Calvary Chapel is we do teach through the Bible. And so we're going to be talking about that uh, tonight. And so uh, you can leave if you want to, but I think it's important. There was a, 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 there was a, a mom the other day, it was probably about maybe, I don't know, three months ago. She said, Pastor, can you talk to, uh, to the church about giving? Because my sons, they don't give. And I want you to kind of give a message on giving. And I was like, well, I could talk to your sons, um, but I don't know if I can necessarily talk to the, to the church because we don't do that way. We don't uh, ask for money here. What we do is we teach through the Bible. And uh, one of the things I'll, I'll tell you this is, is that as you give to the Lord, it's the, it's the best investment. It's the safest investment. It's the best thing you can do with, with the money that the Lord has entrusted into your care. Uh, yesterday, we were uh, looking around for a, a, a game for my son. Uh, it's called um, Sports Club or something like that. We Sports Club. And it came out about a year and a half ago. And so we're looking for it, and it turns out that this game is kind of like they don't make them anymore, so to speak. And so you can't find any new ones unless you go online. And so you go to Amazon, and that, man, they jacked up the price. It's like twice, twice the price, right? And I was telling my son, I said, because, you know, they had one. We were able to come up with a used one, but then the closest used one is over in Cyprus, and then the closest one is in Yucca Valley. And so it's just a, a, one of those games, really, really high demand. And I told him, I said, you know what these crooks do, Aaron? <laughs> they buy the game, and they wait. Like, if they know it's going to be a popular game, you know, they'll wait a year and a half, two years, and then they'll sell it, and then they double their money. And I told him, we should start doing that, you know. <laughs> Because think about it. I mean, doubling your money in two years, that's pretty good. It really is. It's a wise investment, so to speak. And, and, and when we give to the Lord, I'm telling you this. It's not that, that, that we want you to give to this church, okay? Because if that's what you, you think this is about, then I'll even tell you, don't give to this church. God will provide for this church. But I will say this, give to the Lord. You know, give to the Lord obediently, and He He will bless you. And you may not get rich here on earth. Maybe you, you will. I know He'll always provide for your needs. But one day, when you stand before the Lord, you will be rewarded greatly. And we see that ever so clearly in the Bible. Look what it says here in First Chronicles 29. It says, Furthermore, King David said, to all the assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord. Now, three things stand out in this verse. Uh, number one, uh, David says that Solomon was chosen by God. 
You know, we, we see, if you go back to chapter 28, verse 5, look what it says, And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons. Remember, David had 30 sons. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And so, you guys, you know the context here. Uh, David's dying, and he wants to make sure he fulfills his destiny, which is partially to build this temple. This is one of the reasons why he was such a good fighter. He, he was an amazing warrior. He won all these victories, and he got the spoils from those battles. We're going to see partially so that he could collect the treasure that would be necessary for the temple. And so as David's about to die, however, he knows if there's a confusion in the leadership, if people don't know who the leader is, if they think, well, it shouldn't be Solomon, maybe it should be this person over here, then this this temple, it won't be built. There needs to be a clarity as far as who God has chosen. And so he emphasizes this. Of all my sons, he, he, David, uh, Solomon is the one that, that, that God's chosen. And, and he says that here again in chapter 29, verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen. Right. So that's one thing that stands out in this verse. Another thing about this verse is that Solomon was young and inexperienced. And the only reason he says that is because he wants them to help him. Again, he says, uh, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and and inexperienced. You know, and, and we see that uh, frequently, and David mentions this a number of times as he's getting ready to pass on, and he mentions the fact that, you know, uh, Solomon is young and inexperienced. And so, you know, someone might look at that in all honesty, and they might say, well, he's young and he's inexperienced. They might say he's too young and he doesn't have enough experience. And so they might actually oppose his leadership, right? But but David's saying, no, remember, he's the one that God, chosen, uh, God chose. And what I'm asking you to do is in light of the fact that he's young and inexperienced, basically, he says, what I'm asking you to do is help him. Help him. If you go back to chapter 22, and uh, look at verse 5. First Chronicles 22 and verse 5, Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. I love that. Famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Now you'll see as we're getting ready to see that David's calling all the leaders together. And again, he mentions the fact that he's young and inexperienced. But then if you jump over to verse 17, he said, David also commanded all the leaders of Israel, 1 Chronicles twenty-two seventeen, to help Solomon, his son. And so you might look at the leader and you might criticize them or you might want to replace them. And that might be the case, maybe if you're coaching a baseball team or if you're running a business of some sort. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, we don't operate that way. Uh, we have to say, well, who, who has God chosen? And, and when we figure that out, then we help them. And I think a lot of times what I've seen is people do the opposite. They, they want to kind of get somebody else. So be careful. Right here, David wants the temple to be built. He said, God chose Solomon. He's young and inexperienced. 
And what I'm asking you to do is, is to help him. And it's kind of funny how the Lord sometimes chooses people who are young and inexperienced, huh? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, at a study today over at Calvary Chapel Downey, and Odin Fong was uh, teaching. It was a real, real good study. And Odin Fong was one of the guys who was there in the very beginning, in the very beginning of the Calvary Chapel movement. And he said, one of the things about us in the early days, he said, is we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> Nobody really knew what they were doing. But the Lord had chosen them. The Lord had chosen all these young guys. And God did such a great work. You know, and that's something to take into consideration, I think, even of the apostles when the religious leaders, you know, arrested them and then they, they were talking to them and they were, you know, just tripping out on these guys. It just is a marvel that they were untrained and uneducated men. But then they realized that they had been with Jesus. And so that's all that matters. It's the Lord. But I've just noticed that God, sometimes he'll do that. Not that he can't use someone who's been walking with the Lord for a while, or he can't use someone who has experience. But if you ever come to that place, Odin Fong was talking about this today, where you're, where you're, where you, you're dependent on your experiences, or you're dependent on your years of how you've been walking with the Lord, or the routines, and this is the way you always handle that situation, and you're not dependent on the Lord, then you're in big trouble. You know, I think about probably what's the most important responsibility that any of us have as far as, you know, human jobs or titles? Probably parents. That's probably what I would say is one of the most important roles or responsibilities that you have. But when you think about it, when you had your first kid, did you have any experience? No. <laughs> You know, I mean, as your very first kid, you'd figure like in one sense, God would somehow work it out to where, you know, the greatest role or responsibility or job would be given to somebody who has a plethora of experience. And, and the truth is, that's not how, how it works, right? God gives kids to parents. And what he does, they're usually young and they're usually without experience, is what he wants to do is to teach them to trust him. So here's Solomon, he's chosen, he's young and inexperienced, so he's going to need help, right? And the third thing I see in verse 1 is that the temple is a great work because it's not for man, it's for God. You guys see that right there in verse 1? It says, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. You see, and this is what makes the work great. Some people think, well, what makes the work great is if it's big. Or they think if what makes the work great is that it's, uh, you know, some type of a, a human measurement that, that gives it that, that definition. And, and God is saying, no, the work is great whenever the work is for the Lord, and not man. That's what makes a great work of God. And I think that could be big. I think it could be small. It's all dependent on, on what the work is for. You know, we should all want to be engaged in the great work of God, and so we need to make sure that it's the work for God, that that's our heart, and not for man, and definitely not for ourselves. I think sometimes, and it's so tempting, people start wanting that for themselves. 
In Jeremiah 45, verse 5, Jeremiah told Baruch, who was his right-hand man, he says, Are you seeking great things for yourself? Seek them not. We can't seek great things for ourselves. We need to be engaged in a work that is just 100% for God. When that's, the, when that's the case, then it becomes a great work. We have to check and we have to recheck and then recheck our motives over and over again on a consistent basis. Not just what am I doing, but why am I doing what I'm doing? It, it can't be for me. It can't even really just be for men. It must be for God. That's what he says right there. Infinitely first and foremost for God. You know, one day God will reveal and reward not based on what we do, not based on how big it was, but based on why we do. It's all about motives. Um, you guys probably know that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. And so that's the Bema Seat judgment. You know, we as Christians, we won't be at the white throne judgment because that's for the non-believer, right? But the Bema Seat judgment will be us and we'll be standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to scrutinize us with his eyes of omniscience. And he's going to just look and then you guys be ready for that day. I want you to be rewarded on that day that you did what you did for the Lord. If your motives are right, then your reward will be real. That's all that matters. You find out what the Lord wants you to do and do it for Him. See, and that's what makes the work great. He says, the work that my son is Solomon is doing, and you know, from what I understand, the temple, when you put all the, the wealth together, it was like over $200 billion. Think about that. I mean, it's crazy. David alone gave $25 billion of gold. I mean, it was just amazing. You know, the biggest church you could ever imagine. But you can't find any of it now. Because, uh, you know, they didn't obey the Lord. And then what ended up happening, as far as the gold goes, man, it was all taken away. Right? But when the work is done for the Lord, then there's things that last a lot longer. And that's why in looking at this, my prayer is that you guys would be rewarded one day greatly because you're not doing this uh, for man, you're not doing it for Manny, you're not doing it for your overseer, you're not doing it for your husband or your wife, you're not doing it so you could look good or whatever. You know, you're doing it for Jesus. That's why we do what we do. And so when the work's great, um, I do know this, the enemy will, of course, oppose that work and he will attempt to distract you from that work because I always think of that passage in Nehemiah chapter 6 when Nehemiah was building the wall and Sanballat and Gershom, they were opposing and Tobiah and all these guys. But one of the uh, times they wanted to meet with Nehemiah and so Nehemiah said in chapter 6 verse 3, so I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work. So that I cannot come down, why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? And so be involved in a great work, do it for God, and as the enemy comes to try to distract you and oppose you, don't let him. You just stay on track with what God's called you to do, okay?
So here in First Chronicles 29, we read in verse 2, David says, Now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, that's supposed to be like the best gold, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the house, the gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? David said that he, as far as preparing for this temple, Notice there in verse 2 that he did it with all his might, with all his strength. And that's the way we should be living our life. Whatever it is God's called us to do, are you giving like a 100% effort? You know, with all of your heart. You know, I like what it says, the Bible says about Hezekiah. It says in Second Chronicles thirty-one twenty-one, and in every work that he Hezekiah began in the service of the house of God in the law and in the commandment to seek his God. He did it with all his heart. So he prospered. And as David is now finishing up his life and he kind of teaches us how to finish up our life, he tells us that, man, when it comes to this temple, which again would be one of the great destinies of David, he did this with all of his might with all of his strength. And that's the way we should, of course, love the Lord. He says in verse 3 of this chapter that he gave of his own private treasures in addition to the building materials I've already collected for God's holy temple. And so you guys know that David, when he won the victories, he would get all the spoils, all the gold, all the silver, and there was a storehouse for all these things. And, uh, and then he had his own personal wealth, right? He says, and I gave, I gave it to the Lord. That's what he says. According to chapter 22, if you go back to chapter 22, look at verse uh, 14. This is crazy. He says, Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure. For it is so abundant, I have prepared timber and stone also, and you, and you may add to them. I mean, just crazy amounts. Um, according to that passage, the spoils of the battle devoted to the Lord amounted to 3,750 tons of gold. So take a look at your ring real quick and just, just think, you know, 3,750, not pounds, tons. And I know it's a little different, but, you know, they say there's 2,000 pounds in every ton. I mean, this is just insane, right? It's 
37,500 tons of silver and he added to his own wealth. From his own wealth, 110 tons of gold, 260 tons of silver. From what I understand, like I mentioned earlier, David himself gave just, just in gold, 25 billion tons of gold. And, and you look at this and it's just so cool. He's about to die. And he's just giving it to the Lord. Right? He's giving it to the Lord. Not even really giving it to Solomon. Now I will say this, that as parents, it's okay to leave a little something for your kids. But, you know, I mean, just really pray, Lord, how, am I, how do you want me to do this? I know some people, I've, you know, experienced things where, you know, people with cancer, they're about to die. They sell everything and they give, and they give it to the church, a lot of it. I've gotten some crazy checks. I'm like, whoa. You know, but it's something between you and the Lord. The Bible does say it's okay for parents to lay up for their children. But at the same time, you have to ask the Lord for wisdom, right? Because a lot of times those inheritances that they receive... Uh, they get uh, spoiled and uh, lost. And how many times? Have you guys ever heard stories about kids fighting over inheritances? So just tell your kids, ah, I'm going to spare you that trouble. <laughs> I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to give it to Cambodia, wherever the Lord might lead you. See, that, that's kind of what David's doing here. I'm going to give this to the work of the Lord. It's just so beautiful to see. He made a lot of money, right? How much did David leave? All of it, right? <laughs> he left all of it. He made a lot of money, but he didn't see it, you know, to increase his standard of living, but rather his standard of giving. You know, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes people ask me, um, they say, well, how much should I give to the Lord? You know, how much should I give to the Lord? 10%? And of course, that's between you and the Lord. There's really no set amount in the New Testament. We know that 10% was the standard under the old and weaker covenant uh, where animals were killed and it was obligatory, right? You know, but uh, just in reading myself, maybe by God's grace, we can work our way like so many others have to give even more, you know, willingly. Uh, I've heard it said that under the new covenant where Christ shed his blood, 10% is a good place to start. It's like training wheels, you know, but one day you take off your training wheels and you begin to journey with joy. I, I mean, I've seen it over the years. Some people, I mean, it's funny, they're going to give 10%. You know, so they made 60, 640 and whatever and $60, and so they write a check for like 64 you know, and six cents and stuff. I'm, I'm like, man, you should at least round up or something, you know. I mean, you don't have to do it like that. That's not how the 10% thing works. I mean, it, it's got to be a place. I think to me, for some people, they're, lived on a fixed, they're living on a fixed income, especially some of these uh, widows or single ladies, and God knows they can't give 10%, and they, you know, they're, just, you know, not, they're not living in some extravagant life. But I think for, for most of the church, I think that's probably not enough. But that's between you and the Lord. It's all His. Right? But man, I've read stories of guys giving 50%, guys working their way to a place where they give 90%. I mean, it's just amazing. So that's between you and the Lord. I, I don't want to give you that, that, you know, that, that you know, formula, but I will, I will ask you to just take it to prayer. I like what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Watch, let's turn to Matthew 6.
in verse 19, the Lord says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? And so, you know, just encouraging you guys to let your heart be in heaven, let your heart be in the kingdom of God by laying up treasures there. Um, why not lay up treasures on earth? Because earthly treasures are bad? Well, that's not necessarily what Jesus is saying, but he is saying they won't last. It's a bad investment, is what Jesus is saying. According to Jesus, storing up earthly treasures isn't simply disobedient, it's dumb. <laughs> Because it doesn't pay any dividends. But when you lay up treasures in heaven, rust or, or moth or thieves can't take it away. It's there for you. One day you'll be rewarded in that. And so Jesus wants us to store up treasures, but he wants us to do so in the right place, in heaven, in God's kingdom. Notice what he says there in verse 20, if you would. Look what it says. But lay up for yourselves. Treasures in heaven. You know, and not that we're doing this for selfish, you know, gain, but when you do it for the Lord, like we talked about earlier, the motives are right, and you're storing up treasures in heaven, then you're going to be rewarded. That's what Jesus is saying. No one can steal that. No one can take that away from you. You know, I, I read a book a while back. It's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn, and it's a it's a great great book if you guys have never read this i encourage you to read it and I, I read it pretty much once a year i'm going to read you a story uh, from this book that contrasts the lives of a guy named william borden have you guys ever heard of william borden not the borden cheese it's another it's a missionary how about how about king tut have you ever heard of king tut okay he's going to contrast these two guys look what he says he says the streets of cairo were hot and dusty Pat and Rachel Thurman took us down an alley. So they're in Egypt. We drove past Arabic signs to a gate that opened to a plot of overgrown grass. It was a graveyard for American missionaries. As my family and I followed, Pat pointed to a sun-scorched tombstone that read, William Borden, 1887 to 1913. Borden was a Yale graduate and heir to great wealth but he rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to Muslims in Egypt. Refusing even to buy himself a car, Borden gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions. After only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, think about that, four months, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. I dusted off the epitaph on Borden's grave, after describing his love and sacrifices for the kingdom of God and for Muslim people, the inscription ended with a phrase, I've never forgotten. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. The Thurmans took us straight from Borden's grave to the Egyptian National Museum. The King Tut exhibit was mind-boggling. Tutankhamun, the boy king, was only 17 when he died. He was buried, think about this, with solid gold chariots and thousands of golden artifacts. His gold coffin was found within gold tombs, within gold tombs, within gold tombs. 
The burial site was filled with tons of gold. You see, the Egyptians believed in an afterlife, one where they could take their earthly treasures. But all the treasures intended for King Tut's eternal enjoyment stayed right where they were until Howard Carter discovered the burial chamber in 1922. They hadn't been touched for more than 3,000 years. I was struck by the contrast between these two graves. Borden's was obscure, dusty, and hidden off the back valley of a street littered with garbage. Tuttenkamen's tomb glistened with unimaginable wealth. Yet where are these two young men now? One lived in opulence and called himself king, is in the misery of a Christless eternity, while the other who lived a modest life on earth in service of the one true king is enjoying his everlasting reward in the presence of his Lord. Tut's life was tragic because of an awful truth discovered too late. He couldn't take his treasures with him. William Borden's life was triumphant. Why? Because instead of leaving his treasures behind, he sent them on ahead. And we can't take it with us, huh? It's all, it's all his. So I want to encourage you guys just to know what the Bible teaches, to invest in the kingdom of God. You know, back in Chronicles, we read in verse 5 what David does. It says, the gold for things of gold, silver for things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. And then this is what he does in verse 5. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? You know what he basically does? He says, okay, lock the doors. Okay, we're going to take an offering. No, I'm just joking. He didn't do that. <laughs> he just, just challenges them. He challenges them, right? He says, who's, who's going to consecrate themselves, Right? And he challenges them, and it's so cool when you look at this right here. According to David, consecration to the Lord would actually lead to donations to the Lord, right? And, and that's the usual order of events. Okay, you're here today, and God says, I want you to give whatever it might be. But before you can ever reach that point, even of responding to that, you first have to give yourself to the Lord. And that's what he says right here. Who's willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Right? And that's how it works. I know even in Second Corinthians chapter 8, um, I know I'm having you guys turn a lot, but this is such an important passage in Second Corinthians chapter 8. Look what it says here in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Uh, Paul's basically collecting an offering for the poor in Jerusalem. And the Macedonian church was a poor church. But they weren't those type of people that say, well, giving is the requirement for the rich. No, they were a poor people that said, giving is a privilege for the poor. And they gave. 
and they were given grace. And so he says in verse uh, 3, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And you know, you want to give, uh, we're going to see today, generously, willingly, obediently, but you want to come to that place. And I know, um, you know, you guys have heard this before. You want to give to where it hurts, kind of, a little bit. You want to give sacrificially. That's where we want to, that's what happens when we come to a place of giving obediently. You know, Jesus said, these guys over here, they're giving out of their abundance. I'm not real impressed by that. But this widow over here, she's giving a mite. She's giving everything that she has. Now that, Jesus says, that blesses me. And so what were these guys doing? They were giving. But notice where they were as a, as a people, the Macedonians. It says in verse 5, And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. You see, that's how it happens. First, you have to give yourself. And if you're not being generous and obedient and sacrificial and you know, giving willingly and joyfully, then you haven't really given yourself to the Lord. And so the first thing I would say to you is don't, don't whip out your, your checkbook or your pocketbook or your cash. Whip out your heart. Give your heart to the Lord. You know, it's so important that we have that in our heart, right? Back in Chronicles, consecration to David meant donation to God. And so he challenged them, right? He challenges them. And so it's so cool, look, the response in verse 6, and then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. And they gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel, the Gershonite. And then the people rejoiced. This is so cool. For they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart, they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. And so David, you know, he's about to pass the baton to Solomon, and this is what he wants. I know God wants this temple to be built for his glory, and that all the nations of the world would be able to come and worship. People would get saved. People would go to heaven. It was just a cool thing that God was doing. He gave everything, and, uh, and then what he did was he challenged the, the leaders there. You know, as the Lord would lead you, now what do you say? And the people responded in such a generous fashion. And it's such a blessing to see David lead by example. You guys remember we, we teach, I believe, by, by, by messaging and by modeling. As a matter of fact, you guys know this, actions speak louder than words. Our message is usually more, I think, caught than taught, right? And so here David's giving and what ends up happening is the people give as well. Over 190 tons of gold, 375 tons of silver, 
675 tons of bronze, uh, over uh, 3,700 tons of iron. They gave generously, not sparingly. They gave willingly, not out of necessity. They gave joyfully, not grudgingly, not reluctantly. It's like, man, that it's passed around. You're like, I can't take it out of my hand. You know, no, it's just like, praise God. This, I praise you, Lord. That's why we actually receive the offering during worship. Because it's supposed to be an act of worship, right? But a lot of times I wonder if it's an act of worship. They're like, you know what I could do with that, Lord? <laughs> Have you guys ever seen that YouTube video? That one guy, he's dancing. He's, he's just dancing while he's giving. You guys, it's, it's actually probably not good to do. But what they do is they put the offering agape box up there, right in the middle. And so when it's, it's your turn to give, they dance and they're going up. One guy is just dancing. And I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He was just praising God for the privilege and the honor to be able to give to God. Now, I will say this. Uh, the Bible does teach that we're supposed to give periodically. We're supposed to give purposely. And that means as you purpose in your heart. And we're also supposed to give privately. And so, you know, we will never do that. We won't put an agape box up here and make you guys dance in front of everybody because they're supposed to be maybe Bob, but that's about it. Uh, <laughs> Because I heard he has rhythm. But, um, you know, um, that, that heart, though, should be there. Maybe you're dancing in your heart. Lord, thank you so much that I get, I get to give. That's really, that should be our heart. Not that I got to give, but I get to give. And if you're having trouble, you know, increasing that offering, just put up maybe a dollar more next time or, or a couple of dollars more as the Lord would lead you. You know, one of the things you'll, you'll notice about when Cain and Abel offered their offering to the Lord, the Bible says that Abel offered it by faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And, and a lot of people believe that this is what that means. That, that what Cain did was he, he, he added all his math, he did every, all his math, and he had, you know, after he got, you know, his whatever stuff that he wanted to get, he had this left over. And then he calculated it and said, okay, I can give to God the leftover. But what, what Abel did was he just gave, boom, right off the top. Fat of the firstborn, boom. He didn't do all his math to kind of figure out if he's going to have enough money left over, so to speak. He just gave to God what belonged to God. And, and what that was was an offering of faith, it says in Hebrews 11. And God respected that offering. See, and again, I don't know for sure. I, I know faith can mean more than that. But I do know that um, we, we got to get with the Lord and we have to ask Him those things. You know, we want to give joyfully and uh, not grudgingly, not reluctantly, right? <laughs> There's that passage again. Second Corinthians 9, 6-7. But this I say, listen to this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. See? And so that's my encouragement to you. Not to you know, build up our offering, but just for you. Just for you. That God will bless you. Okay? Verse 10, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. 
Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make gray and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. Now there at the end of verse 15 where he says without hope, other translations say without trace. Basically, we're finite. You know, when we die, we return to dust, uh, at least on this side of time, right? I'm a man of dirt, of dust, of days. And yet here's the God of all eternity. And I get to give to him. That's basically what David is saying. You know, it's funny how we get it so wrong, I think, sometimes. We think that those who are blessed are those who get a lot. But the truth is, those who are blessed are those who give a lot, especially those who give uh, to God. Remember, it's not the sum that Jesus sees. It's the sacrifice. And Jesus will bless you as you give to him obediently and sacrificially. Look again at verse 14. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this. You know, and I just think that at the end of the day, David wasn't like, well, look at me, I'm so great. It actually humbled him. He actually counted it as an honor, as a privilege. If we ever come to this place of giving to God willingly, generously, joyfully, obediently, sacrificially, then we should actually praise him. We should actually Thank Him for that grace. It's not just wealth in your hands, it's a work in your heart that God has done and it's all from Him. And so we see that God did a work. In verse 16, He says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people, I like this, and fix their heart toward you. And then he prays for Solomon. Give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. And then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. And so all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers, and they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the King. I mean, it's a great way to start a building program, huh? Just there on their face in prostration, you know, praying and just seeing the Lord work in such a beautiful way. 
And so we read in verse 21, they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. On the next day, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. So they ate and drank before the Lord with great gladness on that day. And they made Solomon the son of David king the second time and anointed him before the Lord to be the leader and Zadok to be priest. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered and all Israel obeyed him. All the leaders and the mighty men and also the sons of King David submitted themselves to King Solomon. And so the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Now, real quick, um, when I was looking at the chapter, I'm like, well, how does it break up? And there's really no neat division, but I did see in one sense, if I could just say this, uh, kind of like a, a destiny. So much of David uh, was destined to be able to you know, do his part in building the temple. And then after destiny is descendants, because so much of what we're doing is we're passing that baton on to our descendants. Let me say this about your children. Uh, you can you be a David. There's no perfect parent, but I'm telling you this. David, he failed in that, uh, but he was a man after God's own heart. He prayed for Solomon here, and that's really the probably the, the best thing you can do for your kids is pray for them and be an example to them. Point them to Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, they have to choose. See, Solomon, he did good for a while. But then we know that he turned away from the Lord because of the, the women, the pagan women that were in his life. And so we see the destiny, we see the descendants, and then the last thing is death. One day we're going to die. You know, none of us knows when. Always be ready. Always be ready. The other day my wife was, you know, we were having a conversation about, I think I told you guys about this before, life insurance, right? And she says, you got to get it. I'm like, well, I'll, I'm, I'm not going to die next week. And then I thought about it. Well, maybe I will. <laughs> we don't know, right? So let's be ready. David was ready, it says in verse 26. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor, and Solomon his son reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, in the book of Nathan the prophet, in the book of Gad the seer. With all his reign and his might and the events that happened to him, to Israel and to all the kingdom of the lands. And so David goes home. David passes on. David dies. And what a what a man he was. What an example he was. And are you guys impressed with the way that he finished? I mean the other day I was every once in a while I do this. I listen was listening to the Laker game. And I'm like, why did I do this after it was all done? <laughs> you know, how how you guys finish this game, I just can't believe it. What's up? Jeremy Lynn? No, I'm just joking. 
He he actually did pretty good the other day. You know, but but you know, I love the way that that David finished his race. Um I don't know what your epitaph would be over David's life, but I know what God's was. In Acts chapter 13 verse 22, God said that David is a man after my own heart. And I think in one sense, it's not really how you start. I think in one sense, it's how you finish. And at the end of the day, when David died, man, he did well. So we kind of need to like plan our life backwards. What do you want them to say about you uh, when you die? You guys heard of that guy... Um, uh, they named the Nobel Peace Prize after him. You guys know a little bit about that story? I don't know if you guys remember that story or not. I don't know all the details, but I will share this with you. It's kind of interesting. He was also the inventor of dynamite. And supposedly, uh, during his life, you know, it was supposed to be you know, used for good, and I think in some cases it was. But in other cases, that dynamite that he invented was used for bad so one day, I want to say it was maybe 1888, uh, his brother died. And so the inventor of dynamite, what's his name again? Um, that's his last name, Nobel. His first name was Alfred. Alfred. He, uh, he ends up uh, reading in the newspaper that he died. Because they got the names mixed up, him and his brother, right? And, and, they, and, they, and they basically called him like kind of like the inventor of death <laughs> you know and this so he read his epitaph and he said wow this is this is i mean this is what they're this is my life this is what they're going to write about me if i were to die today like this in the condition and state and life that i'm living right now this is my epitaph so you know what he did he took the he took his money and back then nine million dollars was a lot of money man he took his $9 million and he invested it into something that he said that would inspire people for good to give away and encourage them you know, for the betterment of mankind. And at the end of the day, now we know Nobel, more Alfred Nobel, more for the Nobel Peace Prize, right? And so maybe God's going to give us, like today, a time to examine our own life. Where are you at? How are you living? Are you consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ? And that means that you're fully given to Him. You know, if you're not, you know, you're going to be sorry when you die and you enter into eternity. And what God wants to do is just say, Hey, let's get things right. Give me your life. Give me your heart. Right here, right now. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.